They're back on the Football Outside the Box podcast, where we discuss the past, the present, and the future of football. Arsenal kick off the first match at home with a 4-2 victory over Leicester. Quite convincing fashion, but would say that the game was a lot tighter than I'm sure Mikel Arteta would have liked it to be. What do you think about this one? Is this a statement that Arsenal are making or you still think that there's more work to be done? Um, I'm not necessarily... I'm thinking neither nor or neither or. Arsenal had a good home form even last season as well. It's nothing new. And we we said it. This is a good time to play Leicester right now. Just as perhaps a bit undeservedly so, just as Leicester got back into the game. Danny Ward, who I must say should not be starting at the Premier League level, just relieves so much pressure off Arsenal. And again, when a bit poor for Ramsdale to concede that from Madison. And then Martinelli goes on and scores a good finish. I think Keeper could have done a little better. I don't know if he would have. But anyway, the goals came at the perfect times. I, they pretty much played Leicester off the park anyway. I think it was a deserved win. I, I don't think 4-2 is necessarily that accurate. I think the margin could have been bigger. Jesus should have definitely had a hat trick. Just, you know, I know he scored that one goal uh, from his, I guess, an individual brilliance and the flick on from Vardy from a corner. Did anybody tell Vardy he's not playing for Arsenal? Um, I mean, that that's a classic flick on header that you see that teams practice for in their set piece routine. But overall, I mean, Arsenal played them off the park. Thoroughly deserved this win. Yeah, we definitely look real sharp, look real lively. I would say still that I feel like we're not creating as many cold cut chances that I'd like to see. But I feel that that will slowly gain as as our rhythm kind of increases. But two poor goals to concede. I mean, the Saliba own goal was a mistake, but I'm not too worried about that. He's still young. He'll learn from that for sure. And thank goodness for our sake, it wasn't too costly. And then Ramsdale should never be letting that go through his legs, to be honest. And Zinchenko on display, although I thought Zinchenko had a very good game, technically very brilliant showed into some great areas. These are the areas I feel like he struggles at left back with. He kind of loses his positioning a little bit, allowing space in behind his area, which kind of allows space for the opposition to get into our attacking areas and start moving our defenders now out of place and out of where they are most comfortable. Now Gabriel has to, would have to step across for example, in that scenario, we'd have to get a midfielder dropping in, which leaves no space in the midfield. So just those things to kind of work on. And 
that's kind of why I thought he brought in Tierney at the end as well, because he realized that he didn't want Leicester penetrating in those areas, especially late on after they came back twice from two goals down. But to me, still promising nonetheless. Gabriel Jesus, two goals, two assists, directly involved with all the goals. I think we'll kick on from that. Do you think the right-back area is particularly, or could it be a, an area of concern? Because we saw on the left-hand side just sheer overload in numbers where there was a lot of good combination plays between, uh, was it Xhaka, Martinelli, Xhaka, yeah, Xhaka, Martinelli, Zinchenko, and Jesus even drifting out wide to that side. Whereas on the right-hand side, you don't necessarily get that with Ben White, neither Tomiyasu. And I feel that's, that's in a way, shadowed Saka, at least in this game. And I think that could happen again in the future in other games. Is that an area of concern? I mean, a great win. I'm not taking anything away from, from, the, from the result or the performance, but... Just something that worries you? I don't think worry is the right word, but yeah, it is an area of concern. I do like to look at those areas of concerns even after a win because I know sometimes the wins don't always tell the full story of, oh, we win, therefore we're perfect. There's still areas to work on. And I think this is something that I've been bringing up a lot, actually, is I think right back is somewhere that we should have been in the market looking for somebody a bit more attacking, somebody who can offer overlapping runs to help Saka to kind of drag defenders as well, but also good defensively. In my mind, I like Dumfries. I know I'd mentioned this before, actually, on, on this part as well, that I think right back is an area we should be improving on and allow Tamiyasu to be a more utility defender across the whole back line he can play right back left back center back just allow him to be that next sub in in case an injury or just to rotate players to get players to rest i like dumfries i think he's very good on the attacking front and he's very aggressive defensively as well but i was watching we're gonna get more into it later but aaron hickey for brentford was very impressive in my eyes and that's a player that we were close to signing this this summer as well from Bologna. So he has the Italian culture as far as defending goes. <laughs> and they and they've also and Scotland where he is from have yeah. produced two great left backs in the form of Andy Robertson and Kieran Tierney. Yeah, I was gonna say as well as some Scottish fire in him as well. Yeah, so I mean, we'll get more into that later, but yeah, to answer your question, right back is an area that I personally would have liked to improve on and move certain players kind of into a different role. Because I like Tommy Asu. I think he offers a lot defensively. He's probably one of the most, when he's in his full fresh form and when he's actually got rhythm, he's probably one of the most difficult defenders to go up against 1v1 as a fullback. So I'd use him more in situational games. You know, if I know we're going to be pinned back against City, for example, I probably or like even a Liverpool, 
I probably want somebody more assured defensively. Or even up against like Zaha against Crystal Palace. If he was fit, I'd have wanted him there. Yeah, I mean it, it. It's just it's just nitpicking, I guess, right now. Yeah, but it's good to nitpick like that sometimes. Somebody who does like to nitpick a lot, even after a win, Pep Guardiola. His side hosted Bournemouth and they won comfortably. 4-0. No Haaland on the score sheet this time, though. What do you think? Yeah, I think we'll see this happen time and time again. He's not... I think he's had eight touches of the ball, I think, this whole game. That is expected from this guy. He is not a complete footballer by any means. Great goal scorer. No one is denying that. But this was the concern... And I mean, when I say concern, this might sound ridiculous because they've just thrashed Bournemouth by four to nothing. But this guy, he's known to drift out of games. And at a team like City, where everyone is all working towards one thing, they're working so hard off the ball as well. He could be a burden in the future, not in this game. This game, Bournemouth, City proved too much for Bournemouth. But in the future games, maybe against a tougher opposition, if this guy continues to ghost in games like this from time to time again, it could spell trouble for City. And we'll see. He, he was really signed for the Champions League, really. I mean, City have the league in the bag, pretty much. He is solely brought in for to win the Champions League, simple as. And Champions League doesn't really start for City until later in the season, until March, because they're pretty much guaranteed to go through to the group stage. So this is an area that I would like to see him improve on. Just his in-game effectiveness and consistency in that. But how do you feel about City as a whole? Like, not just Haaland, no. Like, we see De Bruyne now contributing significantly, as he always does, getting back into his rhythm. How do you feel about them? I mean, I, I feel fine. They're they're a juggernaut. And it's I think it's too early to really see or say anything only after two games. Because a lot of times their struggles come from random games where for some reason nothing seems to go in the net for them or nothing seems to be falling in the right place for them. And they haven't had that yet. I think it's too early for me to say anything at this point. How are you feeling about Bournemouth? Started off decently this season and now brought right back down to earth. But it is City away, so do you think that they should feel disappointed about this or you think it was expected, so kind of dust off the shoes and get back at it? Yeah, I mean, same for Bournemouth. They've, again, they've, they didn't even get to debut their, their new flashy new centre-back. And always going to City, I mean, even for an established Premier League side, it's a tough ask. And nonetheless, for a side that was just promoted this season. Then on to the surprisingly convincing win in the last kickoff of Saturday. Brentford, what the hell? Talk us through that one. 
I mean, if you're feeling up to it, like shit, because <laughs> this isn't anything new. I mean, I've I, I've said I'm cautiously optimistic. Now I sound like an idiot now, but I I, I hear people talk about Thomas Frank's genius or masterclass or tactical plan. I don't want any of that. It was a free goal by De Gea, which I thought he got rid of, but maybe it was Henderson that was keeping him away from those mistakes. And then the second goal, just simple, another mistake from De Gea. And then at 2-0, you can see, I don't, I know people like to make fun of the players, like especially Maguire, McTominay, Fred, you know, those guys. I'm not saying they're world beaters. I'm not saying they're the best players in the world. But they're not bad players. They're not as bad as what people are making up making them out to be or would like to make them out to be. They're not. They're really not bad players. It's really all about their mentality at this point. If you remember two seasons ago when there were no fans in the stadium. We were the comeback kings. We were always going down 1-0, 2-0, and coming back to win. And that is that is how we went a full season undefeated away from home. Now, is it a correlation or is it a causation that the fans came back and we don't, we're not seeing that anymore? We don't know, but it does seem to be playing a part in their mentality, their confidence. I mean, this... Once they concede, once they go one nil down, two nil down, their heads are down. It's it's unrecoverable at that point. I I don't really know what to say. It's it's not the first time we've conceded four. It's actually more than a handful of times within the past year, I think. So nothing new. Does it hurt? I mean, maybe, but doesn't hurt as much as it did a year ago, maybe, when we conceded five against Liverpool. So you're putting this more down to Man United errors. Do you not feel as though Brentford deserves some credit here? I don't want to give the team any credit after what the fans have done to Christian Eriksen. I mean... Do they not realize without Christian Eriksen, they would be playing in the championship right now? Like, that is absurd to me. They have no... Christian Eriksen is not obligated to stay at Bournemouth. Sorry, not Bournemouth. Brentford after half a season. Yes, you guys gave him a chance to come back when nobody else was seemingly wanting to after his heart failure. Good for you. But there's no divine right for you to demand him to stay. And I know they made fun of Christian Eriksen uh, with a chant saying what's score Christian and all that stuff but Brentford aren't a good team I don't I know people like to spin these Cinderella sides and say oh what a ter- terrific job the manager is doing they're not a good team we should have dispatched them instead two individual mistakes lead us to more heads dropping and at that point the third goal and the fourth goal I, it's, it's really just out the window at that point I just feel like Man United weren't offering anything either on the front foot. I feel like they were not creating more of the chances. 
there were there was a real lack of energy i felt like i just it just seemed dead to me i feel like ten hag i mean it's early it definitely is early this is something that we've seen a lot of managers take some time to put in their system and their philosophy but Who has he gone in and gotten this window already? Lissandro Martinez, Malasia. Is he just trying to recreate Ajax at Man U? Do you not think that he could now be implementing a system that suits how he actually wants to play? Or is it that he's just doing something that he's accustomed to? Because maybe he was playing that way to get the best out of those players that he had at Ajax. Not necessarily building what he thinks is going to get Man United the success that they need. I don't know how you feel about that or how you feel about how Ten Hag has been impacting Man United so far, like how everything looks. Lissandro Martinez, how did you feel he played? Well, I don't want to pick out on that that single player or single players, but you saw my area of concern, the his physicality, and not just the physicality, but the aerial jewel. The third goal, I mean, Ben Mee isn't an Erling Holland. Ben Mee is, I don't even think he's six foot. And he couldn't even compete against Ben Mee. So that... Just seeing that was very worrying. And I, I, maybe it's unfair to pick out on one guy. I mean, it is unfair because the whole team was poor. But I I mean, maybe Ten Hag is complicit in this too. I mean, we know in the from the reports that he only wants Frankie de Jong when I'm not totally convinced that now with the Barcelona registering all their players, I think they're still trying to force him out, but I'm not convinced if that even ever was a possibility from from the beginning. And for him to be so naive and say, I only want one guy, which is the right guy, or nobody. When our midfield is the worst, maybe, at least certainly in the top six. That is slightly worrying. And I'm not picking on the manager or anything like that right now. But you can't be naive coming into this job and think I'm I'm only gonna play one I'm only gonna play this way that I know and I'm only gonna look at one player that I that I think is gonna come in and fit perfectly. No, you're not you're not at Ajax anymore. It might have worked at Ajax. Not here. You're you're at arguably one of the top five greatest clubs maybe not the greatest, biggest clubs in the world. And a big one of the biggest clubs that are in a huge turmoil right now. And whatever you're doing at Ajax, it might have worked, but you're gonna have to do a lot more than that at this club right now. Yeah, Man United have a lot of worries that they gotta deal with it. Same thing we had to deal with as well. So now you're feeling it to an extent. But let's see how long it lasts. Well, that, that's what I, I kind of wanted to bring up as well. I mean, we saw when Arteta first came in, he was rolling out the likes of Mustafi, Kalasanak in defense. 
these types of mistakes that we're seeing from from this team, does it remind you of the times when Arteta first came in, or is that, or do you think it's something different happening right now? Well, that's why I brought up the fact that he's brought in players who he used to manage, and if he if you felt as though he was just kind of inputting. Ajax, right, recreating Ajax at Man United as opposed to doing what is best for Man United. Because it, to me, the difference with Arteta and, and Ten Hag is that Ten Hag has actually heavily gone into the market as soon as he got there, as opposed to Arteta kind of had to get rid of players before he could bring in the players he wanted. So I think now we're starting to see Arteta bring in the players that he wants but even so, the money that Arteta has spent doesn't necessarily tell the full story as well because it's spread out amongst the different players. And I kind of went into this already, but pretty much rather than spending $100 million on one player, he's spending $100 million on five. So the quality is a bit less. Well, it, in theory, it should be a, a bit less. But anyways... As we said, we're going to see how long this lasts for Man United. I hope it continues. <laughs> um, but finally, Sunday's match, Chelsea took on Tottenham at Stamford Bridge in a very dramatic two-hour match, very heated. Thomas Tuchel, Antonio Conte, it's a new rivalry, exciting. What do you think? Who is in the right? Who is in the wrong? What do you make about this referee? Oh, I, I loved it. I loved There's There's different types of rivalries. You know, there's the more friend. I don't want to say friendly, but more cordial ones. There's also these ones that for some reason seem to follow. I mean, there's a reason. <laughs> that's That's the character of the manager, but these types of Rivalries that seem to follow the likes of, you know, Conte, Mourinho, the most famous. I mean, I liked it. It's, it was probably unnecessary, but I'm sure, the managers, especially Thomas Tuchel, I'm sure he. I'm sure it was a calculated move to, for for something. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what his motives are, but, I mean, you you can't deny that Chelsea were, unfairly, robbed of a win. I think the first goal for Spurs, I mean, we don't even have to talk about the refereeing decision. Chelsea pretty much dominated Tottenham. I don't think they created as much, especially in the first half. Uh, that goal came from a corner, but it was a good move before that, that preceded the corner. In the first half, except for the first five minutes, I believe, where it was Tottenham actually pinning Chelsea back. After that, it was all Chelsea, and Tottenham couldn't get out didn't do anything but in the second half with the change in formation and then we started seeing some changes from Tottenham and that's where the goal came from a mistake from Jorginho but a great finish questionable offside there but I think Richarlison is far enough away from Mendy to be for it to be even deemed offside second goal for Chelsea deserved after Chelsea or Tottenham equalized, Chelsea ramped up the pressure and they were doing that the whole game. 
putting pressure on Kane, putting pressure on on the players when the ball gets played out wide or to Harry Kane. And that's how they won the ball and scored, which Reese James seemed to be in acres of space for some reason. I'm sure Conte wasn't too happy about that. But the, the equalizer for Spurs, it was preceded by an obvious foul. I don't know how he missed it. Like, that's... Even the player himself, I think the, the guy... I think it was Bentancourt who fouled... Was it Havertz? He stopped. And that's oftentimes what you look for. Even as a referee, you look at... You're swayed by players' reactions and their actions. And Bentancourt stopped playing because he knew it was a foul. And I know that goal happened maybe a whole minute after that incident. So it's technically a different phase of play. But that should have been called a foul. And who knows? Will Tottenham ever be able to get the ball back from Chelsea after the free kick is taken to the point where they're at or in front of Chelsea's goal? We don't know. But that should have been called a foul. The second goal, a dramatic header from Kane from a corner. And again, that's a foul. I, I don't know if it's a red card. I, I'm seeing people that I'm seeing from people that that should be a red card. I, I guess it is. But the only reason why I'm trying to explain on behalf of the of the referees, but the only reason why I can see that it wasn't called anything is because the referees looked at it and deemed it's a foul, but not a red card offense. Because VAR can't intervene for a normal foul, I think. It's only if it's, if it's a red card or not. But I think Chelsea will be... Will feel very wronged by the referees today. And I, I 100% agree with however they're feeling today. Once again, the referees destroying this game. It's the referees again. I mean, it's a clear red card. But anyways, besides all of that, looking at the game itself now, I felt Chelsea were on top. Tottenham really only created chances off Chelsea errors, namely Jorginho with a few errors. And just being able to pounce on those mistakes and hit them on that break quickly. Other than that, didn't really see much position dominance or kind of build up link up play creation from Tottenham. Thought Chelsea played the better football and deserved the win. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I know Tottenham played terribly, they had a dire performance, but seeing how they've managed to come back and actually equalize in the dying minutes of the game, it makes me feel a little better about my pick for them to become the champion this year, or at least compete for the championship. They wouldn't have done that before under, I mean, maybe under Mourinho, I don't know, but definitely under Pochettino, they would not have done that. They would have folded and they would have gone home with zero points, but instead they're coming away with at least a point in a game where they sh- they had no business getting a sing- even a single point. So kudos to them. But I think they got away with it today. As far as result on paper, scoreline, just numbers, 
good result for me at least. These are two big top four contenders. Want them both dropping points. But I'm not pleased about the circumstances in which Tottenham were able to equalize here. I don't want to see them now build momentum after the fact that they were able to scrape out a win. I mean, sorry, well, a draw that feels like a win because it was a last-minute equalizer away from home at Chelsea. The circumstances, it frightens me a little bit that they may go on and gain momentum from this. So, let's see. It is it is good knowing that they didn't play the best football. Hopefully, that could have been against, you know, a team that's not of the level of Chelsea, where you kind of expect them to drop points. But, nonetheless, their perfect record is over. So is Chelsea's. So, we'll take that as a positive. But that's about all we have time for today. Thank you guys very much for tuning in. We know the Liverpool game is actually going to be played today from the release, but we're recording this actually off the, the back of the Tottenham-Chelsea game. So it's actually a day early that we're recording this. But nonetheless, tune into the Liverpool-Crystal Palace match. We spoke about it in the preview, so... Tune into that as well so you know what we're kind of expecting for the for the match itself. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And don't forget, as always, the link to our Facebook page is in the description and the bio. Turn on your notifications. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in as always, and peace out.